Jacques Hibert, born in 1890, is one of those composers who is always good company. His music is polished and entertaining and is never driven by any theory, agenda, or the desire to gain attention through shock value. This was a surprisingly uncommon quality in the early 1920s when Hibert first came to public attention. As he said, all systems are valid as long as they produce music. His most popular works have the sparkle of French champagne, but lest you are tempted to think his range limited, try to track down Orson Welles' brilliant 1948 film of Macbeth, which owes no small part of its ominous and oppressive atmosphere to Hibert's excellent score. In 1940, France's Nazi-dominated Vichy government paid Hibert the unintentional compliment of banning his music, a baffling decision when one considers how free of modernistic gimmickry Hibert's music is, but one which nevertheless could only serve to enhance rather than detract from the composer's reputation. Hibert wrote his flute concerto between 1932 and 1934 for Marcel Moyse, probably the greatest flautist of his time, and at only one year older, Hibert's exact contemporary. Moyse's influence on flute technique cannot be overestimated. His technical studies and compositions are considered essential for every serious student of the instrument and there is an Australian connection. In 1913, Marcel Moyse accompanied Nellie Melba on her tour of the United States. Anyway, back to the concerto. Knowing that he was writing for Moyse, Hibert did not spare on technical difficulty. Although the virtuosity required is always at the service of the music, the first movement is energetic, long stretches are almost moto perpetuo, with some treacherous runs for the soloist. The second movement is a slow, languorous waltz, which in its general mood and layout bears some similarity to the slow movement of Ravel's Piano Concerto in G. I mention this because Ravel's Concerto premiered in January 1934, which is the year Hibert completed this concerto. And as you will hear, our soloist Cassandra Slater has some more interesting information regarding that particular movement. The finale, Allegro Scherzando, is explosive, with great rhythmic energy generated by alternating 4-4 and 3-4 measures, and I'm sure I can hear hints of the popular dance The Charleston and The Jazz Club. Cassandra Slater is accompanied by Louisa Breen. Cassie Slater, welcome to Anam Radio and congratulations on your delightful performance of Jacques Hibert's Flute Concerto, which I've enjoyed listening to several times now. I'm a pianist, a very bad one. You're a very good flautist and breathing is a mystery to me. I look at what you play and what other wind and brass players play. Do you do special exercises to develop and improve your breathing? Well, um... My breathing journey was quite interesting, particularly for the Ebert Concerto, because I realised as soon as I got in front of the Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra, just how loud the orchestra is and how effective I needed to be breathing and how I needed to be creating the most optimum resonant sound to cut across the orchestra and project. And so I definitely did train almost like an athlete for that aspect of it. I was doing 
about half an hour of stretches every morning before rehearsal and before the performance so that uh, my body was flexible and limber enough so that when I needed to take a breath, I could get the maximum amount of air in. And I also like to stay physically fit. I like to run, which I find really helps my cardiovascular system, especially when I feel like I'm getting puffed on stage, I can recover much quicker. So yeah, those were some of the things that I did to sort of prepare me to play that concerto. Well, that's, that's really interesting to hear because you look very relaxed, may I say, on stage. And it's very interesting to hear that you suddenly faced with this very steep learning curve when you're placed in a different situation, which was playing with the Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra. This concerto is 20 minutes plus, and it looks very demanding. Every sort of technique, it seems, is required. Let's start with the first movement. You have these very long, very fast runs, but every note has to be precise and differentiated from the others but they don't move stepwise either these runs include lots of awkward intervals so how do you negotiate those sorts of passages you've really nailed it that's like one of the main challenges of the first movement from the get-go it's just an explosive beginning you sort of dive in with all this semi-quaver passage work which is very fast and all tongued which on the flute doing interval work all tongued is actually quite a challenge. It doesn't come naturally to the instrument. I did a lot of slow practice to get each interval sounding right and sort of build up the tempo so that it felt comfortable at a faster speed. But yeah, it's, it's really challenging, especially because throughout the whole concerto, really, there's hardly any breaks. So you just have to dive in and try and stay relaxed as possible. And then in the second movement, Iber wants you to do the exact opposite, which is play these very beautiful but very long phrases. And I want to ask you about vibrato, because I notice you use vibrato very selectively. T tell us about that. The second movement, I'm not sure whether you're aware, but when Iber wrote the concerto, he wrote the two outer movements and struggled to finish the concerto. And it wasn't until his father passed away that suddenly he was able to finish this it's a really gorgeous but very heartbreaking second movement and so vibrato is one of the tools that we can use to really draw another element and color of the second movement so I really wanted to choose moments to sort of express how I interpret the second movement as like a really heartbreaking homage to his father. The orchestra is actually playing in D flat major, but he has the flute start in G, which is a yeah. tritone away. And, and that rather explains why he did that. It's a very anguished, poignant opening, don't you think? Yeah, it's such a beautiful way that he uses those harmonies. And it's so expressive in that way. Now, you talked about the stamina and the fitness needed, and I think it's almost cruel of Ibert that he puts this very demanding cadenza right at the end of the concerto. So just when you see the end coming over the horizon, oh no, here's the cadenza. And it asks for just about every trick in the book. Talk to us about that. Oh gosh, I know. And especially after going back to breathing, uh, you've played the first like ecstatic kind of movement and then you've had all these long lines in the second movement where you're also struggling for breath and then you have to hit a cadenza at the end. Yeah, it's very technically challenging. But the cadenza itself is really um, the final hurrah of the concerto, sort of leading into the last blast of fireworks in the third movement. 
Well, I really enjoyed your performance, Cassie, and thanks again. You and Louisa make a great team on the recording, and thanks for chatting with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Anam Radio. Our next podcast features Antonin Dvorak's Serenade for Winds. <laughs>